Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 10, Jim Graham teaching on gifts of the Holy Spirit. to do some teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I can't speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit without speaking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because these two are very closely and intricately connected. I come from a background where I was taught that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. They were for, for an earlier age during the apostolic period, but they're no longer for today. Of course, that's not true, but that was what I was taught. Uh, I was also taught that there was no need for me to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'd been ordained for 11 years, uh, 12 years. And uh, uh, a neighbor of mine, uh, a minister in uh, a neighboring parish when I was still in Scotland, uh, he came to England to a conference and he came back proclaiming that he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had two reactions to him. One, I was terrified of him. <laughs> uh, he was my friend, and I was afraid to be left alone in the, in the uh, living room with him in case he would leap off the sofa and lay hands on me. I didn't know that I could <laughs> handle that. Uh, but the other uh, reaction that I had to him was I was deeply envious of him because things began to happen in his parish. Uh, and so that began a journey for me, uh, and I, for two years I pursued that journey. I read everything, all the books I could read, I listened to tapes, realized I'm old. We had tapes in those days, not CDs, and uh, I, uh, I read scripture like there was no tomorrow. And uh, Charles was saying Sunday night, that uh, his Bible was so well used it fell apart. Mine was exactly the same, fell totally apart. I was so eager. I felt there's something here that I've missed. And uh, I was actually leading a service in our church, and uh, the people who were present at that service were then invited to pray. And so I was sitting at the front. As I sat at the front, Jesus came and baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And uh, it had been a process for about two years in God preparing my heart. What happened? I was very keen that night for the congregation to leave so that I could be in my own. I went to my room in the church and I knelt down and I was totally captivated by the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. I, there were tears there was a, a welling up of joy. There was a sense of light. There was a sense of wonder. I'm using words that don't really express what was, was going on. And uh, eventually, when I opened my eyes, it was dark. And it was July 1968. And uh, in, in Scotland, in the, the summer months, actually, the, the, the nights are very short and the days are very long. I can't now remember what time it was, but I remember walking through the public park 
And I, I, even as I'm talking to you, I've got goosebumps. It was such a remarkable experience. Well, that led to a new beginning in my life and also in my ministry. But uh, we, in our church, we went away for a church weekend. And uh, I'd only been there. By this time, I'd moved from Scotland. I was now in England. It was the second year of my watch at the church. And uh, we'd gone away for a weekend. The church was quite small in those days. And uh, we'd gone through Friday night, Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon was free. Saturday evening, we came to Sunday, and we went through a program Sunday morning, had lunch, and then we were going to have Holy Communion together. And I was leading it, and uh, I'd only announced the first hymn. We sang hymns in those days. Actually, we had hymn books. Do, do you remember you used to have hymn books? Yeah. Not, not, uh, uh, and we, we sang the first I just sensed the presence of God. And I, I said to the congregation, Let's just pause. Just let's be quiet. God is powerfully among us. And there was a, an elderly lady. Well, she wasn't so old then. She's now gone to be with Jesus. But uh, she was sitting in a, a window seat in the drawing room of this conference center. She was such a lovely, gentle, self-effacing, gracious, lovely lady. And she stood up. I'd never heard her speak in public before. And she said, could we sing, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me? It was the old version, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. And this is what we sang. We sang, break me, melt me, mold me, then fill me. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Well, in those days, actually, we... Uh, we didn't sing songs or choruses. We just sang hymns. And uh, we didn't sing them several times. We, we didn't know you were supposed to sing them for about five or six or seven times. We, we just sang them once. And I thought, this is, this is a, a song that I know. So in answer to her question, could we sing it? My answer was yes. First of all, because I knew it. But even more importantly, the, the man who was on the, the piano, he knew it. So we started to sing as a congregation, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Then we sang, melt me, mold me, break me, break me, uh, uh, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Do you know, brothers and sisters, he did. How do I know? Well, right across that gathered community of faith, people began to sniff. <laughs> right, right across. I thought, so what's going on here? I thought a flu had broken out <laughs> in the congregation. And then I felt tears come into my own eyes. And I'm a Scotsman. Scotsmen don't cry. What a cruel piece of advice. But I felt tears come into my eyes. And then I saw people getting up, and they were talking to one another. You see, in those days, they did what they were told. They, they didn't act spontaneously. I thought, what's going on here? And then God put it into my heart. 
to go to one of the leaders of our church and to ask his forgiveness. And I'm thinking, no way. <laughs> and I'm struggling at the front there with tears and with this resistance. And eventually I got up and I went and I knelt down by his chair and I said to him, would you please forgive me? And uh, He was a butcher. He was o over 18 stone, big man. And uh, he looked as if I'd slapped him in the face. And he said to me, why? And I said, it, it just occurs to me that I'm actually afraid of you. <coughs> and in leaders' meetings, I don't know where I stand with you. I'm, I'm really, really so. I become very critical of you. And then it dawned on me what was happening. Our people were repenting towards one another of criticism, of animosity, of coldness of heart, of fragile relationships. And so they were putting things right. And that was the first gift that God gave us as a congregation. It was the gift of repentance. And uh, you'll never understand what happened and what has been happening in our church since way back in 1970, 1971, and that event that occurred. When I prepared to come and take this seminar, I never intended to tell you that, but I thought I'd better set the context. The context of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are within the context of the outpouring of the Spirit in Pentecostal power. Would you turn, if you had a Bible, but don't worry if you don't have, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to this uh, very significant church in a place called Corinth. It was in a bit of a mess, actually. And he's writing to put it right. And this is what he says now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I presume sisters. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men, and presumably women. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. I want to refer to that in a moment or two. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, 
and he gives them to each one as he determines. Now, I've no doubt that that's a passage that you're very familiar with, but I thought it's a foundational passage to looking at uh, what God wants us to know and embrace with regard to the gifts of his Holy Spirit. I, uh, I don't know that if you particularly notice, there are nine gifts that he mentions there, which you can easily count. I, I think there are many, many more gifts of the Spirit. They're not uh, simply restricted to these nine gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the thing that impressed me about these nine gifts is that they fall very naturally into three different sections. First of all, there are gifts of knowing. And there are three gifts that are related to knowing. There's the gift of wisdom, there's the gift of knowledge, and there's the gift of distinguishing between spirits. So the Spirit of God is working and moving and equipping and resourcing in the head. Gifts of knowing. Then secondly, there are three gifts that could quite easily fall into the category of gifts of speaking. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of tongues. I'm not sure that I like that translation. I think it's a sort of shorthand for a magnificent gift. You see, the gift of tongues, is, is there's nothing spooky about it. Tongues is a language. The original word means a language that has grammar, that has vocabulary, that has syntax, that has form. The only problem is that we have never learned that language. And so I would prefer to translate that, that God, by his Spirit, gives a gift of a language that we've never learned. That's a bit clumsy. It's much easier to say tongues. So there's a gift of prophecy, speaking, the gift of tongues, which is speaking, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. What has been said since we don't know the language? What is the, the gist of what's being said here? So there's, there are gifts of knowing, there are gifts of speaking, and there are gifts of doing. And again, there are three gifts there in that list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's the gift of healing. That's a doing gift. There's the gift of miraculous powers. And thirdly, there's the gift of faith, which is always an active reality in the New Testament. It's not simply... Head knowledge, it's, uh, it's, it's something that's active and alive. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are nine gifts that are divided into almost like three sections. Gifts of knowing, gifts of speaking, and gifts of doing. 
And if you think about that, that has actually is the expression of a personality. Gifts of knowing, we know. Gifts of speaking, we communicate. And gifts of doing, we are active. I was speaking at Joe's Bar on, uh, what, what, just yesterday, gosh, it seems a long time since yesterday. And they asked me if I would speak and do a breakdown of Acts chapter 2, which I gladly did. And I, I was saying to them that actually, in Acts chapter 1, if you check it out, Jesus has ascended. And God needed a new body on earth to do two things. Number one, to declare God's word. And number two, to demonstrate God's life. And that new body is born in Acts chapter 2. It's often referred to, whether you want to refer to it as this or not, that's not the point. It's often referred to as the birthday of the church. And, you see, in order for us to be the new body of Christ on earth, we have to have gifts of knowledge so that we know. We have to have gifts of communication so that as we speak, we are communicating. And we have gifts of doing. Because fundamentally, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has come to credit us with the risen life of Christ. Isn't that exciting? And the gifts of the Spirit are there to equip us to do just that. If we could have the, the first um, uh, thing of what are spiritual... Could you put up the next bit, please? Thank you. In that reading that uh, I, I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about spiritual gifts and the word that's used in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1 is that, that word there, pneumatica. And uh, I, I've given a definition of what, what that really is. It's entering into that dimension where the Holy Spirit has free access to users in any way he would choose. So I could read now about entering into that dimension where the Holy Spirit has free access to use you in any way he would choose. Brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. It's quite a mouthful. But that's what pneumatica really means. However, a bit further on in verse 4, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. And uh, if you could put up the next uh, thing, the word that's used in verse 4 is another word, and it's charismata. And uh, charismata is the ability inspired by the Holy Spirit and reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ within our natural experience, taking us 
into a dimension of which we are not capable to enrich the church. And I, I would like you to hold these definitions, particularly the, the second one, very closely in your mind and in your heart. One of the toughest lessons that my congregation had to learn is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not simply a power. He is a person. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, where uh, Father David was this morning, in Genesis chapter 1, and in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God said, let us make man in our image. So God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person. In a, a passage that um, is absolutely fascinating, John chapter 14. If many of you are taking notes, if you'd like to notice, John chapter 14 and uh, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, in the original Greek language, there are two words for another. One Greek word for another is heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S. And that means another of a different Kind. I pinched this from my room. I will take it back <laughs> when I go back. Here is a knife. Here is another knife. It's another of a different kind. This is a, a tea knife. This is a vegetable knife. Heteros. Another of a different kind. However, there's another Greek word, alos, A-L-L-O-S. And that's another of the same kind. Here is a knife. Here is another knife. That's alos. And actually, the word that Jesus is using in John chapter uh, 14 is alos. I will ask the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another of the same kind as me, counsellor. So first of all, God said, let us make man, let us make man in our image. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He's another of the same kind as our Lord Jesus. But then there's another word in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He will give you another counselor. Now, some of you are not old enough, but uh, 
One or two of you are to remember Perry Mason. And Perry Mason was a counsellor within a legal context and framework. And the word that's used here in the original Greek language is the Greek word parakletos. And para is really two Greek words stuck together. Para means to call alongside of. Kletos comes from the Greek word kalio, which means I call. So you stick these two words together and the counselor that, that is being spoken of here is someone who has been called alongside to help. And here's the interesting thing, that so far as these people who received this gospel, they would understand parakletos as being a word in a, a legal context and always used of a person. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Of course, the Holy Spirit has personal attributes. He speaks, he teaches, he leads, he grieves, and he forbids. So the point that I'm laboring, and I'm aware of that, but I, I want us to get this, folks, that when we look at these two definitions, in answer to the question, what are spiritual gifts? We're dealing here not with some power. We're dealing here with a glorious person entering into that dimension where God the Holy Spirit has free access to use us in any way that he would choose. Don't you want that? That's a longing of my heart. And charismata is uh, the ability inspired by the person, the Holy Spirit, and reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ within our natural experience, taking us into a dimension of which we are not capable to enrich the church. Have a good rest of the day. You will immediately be aware of uh, this can, can you see if I could just make a division there? The, the first part of charismata is this one, two, three, four, five, six letter word charis, which is always translated in the New Testament as grace. Uh, and again, I... I understand the word grace, but I, I think sometimes we use words without fully understanding what it is we're saying. Grace is the sheer, undeserved generosity and favor of the heart of God. And when we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is where I feel a certain amount of pain and sadness, that sometimes people are hesitant, suspicious when you talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about is releasing the sheer undeserved and unearned favor of the heart of God. Whatever gift it is, that's what's happening.
You see, there are some words in the New Testament that are quite hard words. And uh, sometimes they're almost like frowning words, but not charis. There are two strands come together in this word, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. One is beauty. In the original culture, it was used of something that was beautiful to behold. It could be someone dancing. And that there was a, a, a beauty, a winsomeness, an attractiveness about it. And so when people in the New Testament heard this word charis, that's what they would think of. Some, this is something beautiful. But the other strand in this word charis is bounty, lavishness, extravagance, limitlessness. And so the word charis, you stick these two strands or streams together, the lovely, the attractive, the beautiful, the winsome, and the, the lavishness and the extravagance and the abundance. And again, I've got goosebumps. This, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The ability inspired by the Holy Spirit and reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is like. This is what Jesus does. This is how Jesus acts. This is how Jesus reacts. This is what Jesus wants within our natural experience, taking us into a dimension of which we are not capable to enrich the church. So what I wanted to do, if you could just put up um, the, the next part, please. Just Thank you. What does that last line mean? Okay, could you go back to the previous? Uh, into a dimension of which we are not capable to enrich the church. Well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural. It's, it's not our natural ability. It's the ability given by the Spirit. But it's not for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of the new body of Christ on earth, the church, to make it richer, to make it effective, to make it relevant, to give it a cutting edge, to make it what it was always originally meant to be. In, in, our, in our world. Is that okay? Thank you for asking the question. Now, don't hesitate to interrupt me at any time. If I, if I don't know, I'll, I'll tell you, but somebody else here, I'm sure, would be able to tell you. Well, all right, let's move on to the next part of what I wanted to share today. How, how do we receive spiritual gifts? And I, I've listed, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten ways in which we can receive spiritual gifts. And the first of these is by having a living relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are really the expression of the Jesus life. I 
I wrote down what I believe about Jesus. I would commend this to you. I don't know if you want to do this sometime. But I, I think best on a piece of paper. So I took a piece of paper and I, I wrote down, I believe that a human being called Jesus of Nazareth was consciously alive before he was conceived. That's what I believe about Jesus. He has always been there. He was with the Father and the Spirit in eternity. That's a word that just blows my mind away. It's outside my frame of reference of space and time. But Jesus has always been there. He was not then human, but one of three persons in the Spirit we call God. That's what I believe about Jesus. He has always been there, sharing fully in the making and maintaining of our universe and all life in it. Jesus was involved. According to Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, he was instrumental in creation. We'll be looking at that on Thursday morning in the Bible study. He chose to come into our world by being born as a baby. That makes him different from us. I never chose to come into this world. But Jesus chose to come into this world by being born as a baby. That's what I believe about Jesus. And all his divine nature was embodied in his flesh. That is, it. see, when God became incarnate, he didn't come as man, uh, a grown man. He came as a baby man. Don't know if you ever thought about that. I remember one of our granddaughters was born. And uh, we have uh, nine grandchildren. But one of our granddaughters was born in a hospital not too far away from where I live. And Anne and I, my wife and I, went to see the new baby. And we walked into the ward where my daughter-in-law was sitting up in bed, radiant. My son was standing by the side of the bed. He looked awful. <laughs> His hair was standing on end. He could have, he hadn't seen a razor for some time. His clothes looked as if he had slept in them, and he looked wan and pale. And I'm thinking to myself, who had the baby last night? My daughter-in-law said to me, would you like to hold her? And I'm thinking to myself, would I like to hold her? That's why I came, so I could hold her. So I put my arm down into the cot, and I said, I know how to do this. And I lifted this little scrap of humanity out, and I held her. There was no muscle tone. Her little legs just hung. Her arms were totally helpful, helpless. Her little face was all scrunched up. And then she would open up. But her eyes didn't focus properly. She was totally, absolutely, completely, comprehensively helpless. And I'm not always that spiritual, but I thought I can still remember that moment. And I thought, that's how God became when he came to earth to be our Savior. And that's what I believe about Jesus. That's what I've written down on my little sheet of paper. He chose to come into our world by being born as a baby, and all his divine nature was embodied in his flesh. 
When he grew to be a man, he did and said things which only God could say and do. That's what I believe about Jesus. Put to death as a dangerous imposter. His claims to be God the Son were proved right when God the Father brought him back to life with a new body. As uh, we were hearing this morning, Jesus was resurrected. That's what I believe about Jesus. He has since returned to the place from which he came, taking with him his human nature and experience. Brothers and sisters, there's a man in the throne room of the universe this afternoon, and his name is Jesus. That's what I believe about Jesus. His place on earth has been taken over by God the Holy Spirit, who has no body but lives in Christians. One day the Lord Jesus Christ will return to this planet and give all his friends a new body like his and take them to be with him forever. That's our destiny. That's what I believe about Jesus. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about believing about Jesus. I'm talking about believing in Jesus. Let me try and illustrate this. Way back in 1957, I stood at the front of a church and there was a young doctor standing on my left-hand side. And she said to me, I, Annabelle Martin Lachlan, take you, James Renfrew Giffen Graham, that's me, James Renfrew Giffen Graham, to be my husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. And this is my solemn vow to you. I'd taken the same vow to her just a few minutes earlier. You see, Anne and I fundamentally were a very boring couple. We were born in the same town. We went to the same church. We went to the same... Sorry? I was born in Airdrie, in Lanarkshire. We'll talk to you afterwards about that. Um, we, we, we went to the same primary school. We went to the same junior. They're boring, boring couple. We actually went to the same high school. It was a co-ed high school. And... Uh, I fell in love with her in sixth form. And uh, she went off to Edinburgh University to study medicine. I went off to Glasgow University to prepare myself for a career which actually was not in the church. And eventually, in 1957, we got married. You see, for all these years, we had known about each other. But on that day, the 3rd of September, 1957, Anne said to me, Jim, I believe in you. My future, my security, my development as a woman, all that lies in the years ahead of you, I am dependent on you. 
Actually, I'd said the same thing to her just a little bit earlier, as I said. And actually, folks, that's what I'm talking about. See, it's one thing to believe about Jesus. It's another thing to believe in Jesus. See, I feel very close to folks in this conference. And so, if I share something in my heart, I hope it's all right. But every morning I pray a prayer. And I've prayed it for two and a half years. It's actually a prayer that comes out of an old hymn that many of you would know. I need your presence every passing hour. Not but your grace can foil the tempter's power. Who, like yourself, my guide and stay shall be through cloud and sunshine. Oh God, abide with me. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, please with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, oh, help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. I pray that every morning. I hope it's all right to share that. I want to be real with you folks, because I want us to understand precisely what I'm talking about here. How do we receive spiritual gifts? By having a living relationship. This isn't simply a theology or an idea. This is the reality of a, a living, vital, vibrant relationship with Jesus. I'd like to talk about Jim Graham myself. Jim Graham is what I would call a really holy person. He's friendly, warm-hearted, and really loves the Lord. And you can, and he loves people. And I find people who who love really love God are usually really love others as well. And he is so welcoming. He was, as people were arriving, they were coming in dribs and drabs, and he, he welcomed the first, and he welcomed the last person with the same spirit. Lovely to see you, wonderful that you've come. So I, I find Jim a truly lovely, lovely man in every way. His teachings that I, I've, I've heard, and I've recorded them several times, but he is absolutely wonderful on the gifts of the spirit. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to part one of Jim Graham's teaching on Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tune in next week for part two. But until then, stay safe and have a blessed life.